Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got Adi Shankar on. He's a producer and director. He's done a ton of great things you've heard of. Uh, my favorites being The Grey and Dread. Yeah, he also produced A Walk Among the Tombstones and a bunch of other movies. And he also has a movie with Eminem coming out in a couple months, Bodied, and a Netflix show. He had it at Castlevania on Netflix, and he did all these fan films. He did the Punisher fan film and the Power Rangers fan film. Kind of created, like, the Marvel bootleg universe. He's unstoppable, and his resume would prove that. He's so unencumbered by things that normally keep us from making things. If he has an idea, he goes and he makes whatever he does. He calls people, he finds them on Twitter, he emails them, he Googles their name. He'll find actors and cast, and we get to that through this very circuitous interview that we have with him where we touch on all his philosophies on Hollywood and making films and just kind of what excites him. Take a dive into Adi Shankar's creative process on this episode. But before we get to Adi, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, Matt, I just did this very small thing for... It's a website and app called The Skim. Have you heard of them? Mm-mm. It's like a news app. I guess they have millions of oh, maybe I have, followers yeah. and subscribers. And people seem to know about it, which is cool because I hadn't really heard about it before this. But we did The Skim on the behind-the-scenes people at the Oscars. So we interviewed six people. We had the talent relations woman. We have the voice of the Oscars. She's the one that says, you know, and this is George Clooney's fifth nomination and second win. Anyway, uh, so it was like just kind of a fun tidbit about the Oscars. But the interesting thing is that we were supposed to, like the location that they found for us was they were trying to find the quietest location at the Dolby Theater, which is where the Oscars are and where all these people were prepping. And But they wanted a location where we could close the doors and control it while they're setting up for the Oscars. So they found this hallway for us, and it's called Winner's Walk. It's where when you win an Oscar, you walk down mm-hmm. this hallway. If you take the tour, you actually get to go down Winner's Walk. Oh, cool. I've never taken the tour. It's it's great, actually. I recommend it. The Dolby Theater Tour? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to a, a birthday party where the, the tour was part of the birthday party. Um, so it's this place. It's kind of cool. It's like a curved hallway with some nice natural sunlight coming in from the side. Uh, and that's where we're going to shoot on the, all the interviews. But on the Scout, um, there's like a bunch of outlets, just like regular outlets. And we were going to bring some LED lights and, you know, a, our own hair and makeup person that would need a curling iron. And we were going to have some cameras with batteries. And it's a union. The Dolby Theater is a union theater. Mm, it's a union house. Yeah. Yeah. Which means you need all union workers to literally, I was like, can I plug my cell phone in to charge they're like, nope, not in this hallway. And I was like, can I do this? So we were trying to come up with all these crafty ways. So there's all this overhead lighting in that hallway. We wanted to turn it off. But there isn't, you know, it's like a hotel. There isn't just like a light switch in the hallway to turn it off. Um, and we're like, well, can we unscrew the light bulb? And they're like, no, we'll need, well, we're like, can we put some black wrap on the ceiling? And they're like, no, nah, that's like a rigging thing. We need a, someone from the rigging team, someone from the electrical team. And they're dark that day, which means that, Union isn't working that day, so you have to pay them all this overtime. I came up with a way to block lights that requires no rigging, and it was inspired by my daughter. (laughs) It was her birthday recently, so she got some helium balloons. And the night after we scouted, I realized one of the balloons was like blocking one of our recessed ceiling lights in the living room. And I (laughs) emailed (laughs) the DP and the producer, and I said, hey, won't this work to block out all those lights that we don't want to see? And 
So we, one of our tools was, uh, he, you know, we got a few helium balloons and a gift shop. And in fact, it did work, but uh, some security guard made us stop because he was afraid of fires or something, even though it was like LED lights. Um, but so I invented my own light blocking tool. I like that it's very the, much. The Orin balloon. Yeah. Um, that's really good, actually. Yeah. It would be nice if you could get like a bunch of small, like maybe like cantaloupe sized ones that were completely opaque. So you could kind of like spread them evenly like a net almost, you know? Yeah, that would be cool. Or if you can even somehow attach like a big flat, like piece of black wrap to the top of the mm, balloon. Yeah, yeah. Like a tin foil type of version mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. Um, but uh, the more interesting thing is after literally an hour of scouting and like trying to beg them to let us like, well, can we do this, this little thing? Can we run to an office? Can we use this? Um, as the DP, Andy, who you know well, shot your show, CVNT5, um, as him and I were walking out to through the Lowe's Hotel, which is adjoining the Dolby Theater, there was this really nice frosted glass area. I was like, ooh, this is a nice light. I'm going to take a selfie here real quick. And Andy was like, yeah, this is really nice. And we were, I was like, hold on, let me take a few pictures of you. And we're like, oh, this is nice too. And they're like, do you want to shoot here instead? And we're like, no, no, we're not trying to make any trouble, you know. Right. Um, they're like, okay, well, because this is a hotel. It's totally different from the Dolby Theater. Literally, I mean, it's literally 10 inches from where we were before. Yeah, definitely. So we would need separate permission and separate this and separate that. And I was like, oh, is the hotel a union house? And they're like, no. I was like, okay, so can I, would I be able to charge my phone in this outlet? They're like, um, yeah, we don't see why not. <laughs> I was like, would I be able to charge my our cameras there? And they're like, probably. Would I be able to plug a light in here? Uh, sure. I'm like, okay, so we just had like an hour and a half debate about whether we could plug anything to this outlet when 10 feet away there's an outlet that there's no issues plugging things into. And, and when we're not even talking about, you're not going through a door. You're not crossing a threshold. It's just... We're walking through a doorway. You're walking through a doorway. But... Yeah, but the door was going to be open the whole time. Um, and it, it's, I mean, it's like, it's very, it's as far as you and I are from each other yeah. right now. Um, Orin has a very, very big dining room. You right. guys remember in, in the original Tim Burton Batman? Right, way to give away that we're recording in a dining room. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a professional sound booth. Oh. Um, no, but uh, so I guess kind of the lesson was you can kind of argue about the rules of, your location and your production for hours and your producer will tell you, just don't, we'll just get batteries. Don't worry. We'll just batteries. Yeah. But at some point you can be like, well, what about this? Like, yeah. I think there's something about like not being afraid to totally flip the script if it can help the production in every other way. And that's what we did. We ended up shooting in this area and we had our hair and makeup person can plug in her curling yeah. iron and everything was totally easy. Do you find, I feel like we're at a level now where, Producers really want to protect us from certain conversations, conversations like this. And so uh, they'll fight to the nail for you on something that like you wanted, but maybe if you knew how big a pain in the butt it was, you would be like, oh, no, we'll just we'll go into this other room. It's not a big deal, you know, um, and that you still want to be part of those conversations because you want to kind of pick your battles and be like, oh, no, I do want you to really fight for this one. And sometimes it's like, yeah, no, we'll just go into this other room. It's no big deal. I was just taking a selfie there. Yeah. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times someone, a producer has been like, well, we're really fighting for your vision here because they're trying to change everything. And I'm like, oh, actually, I think their idea is pretty good. 
Why yeah. don't we change that? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Thank you. It matches my vision more than my initial thought. Yeah. So yeah. funny. Anyway, so I think just kind of the lesson for me is just never take any thing, any of the parameters or the constraints as givens if it's very clear that there's better ways to do something. Yeah. Um, or even if it's not totally clear. Yeah. So anyway, check out the skim, two M's, S-K-I-M-M, on the Oscars. Anyway, Matt, how are you doing? I heard you ran into some weather issues. I did. I did run into some weather. So uh, LA is having a bit of a weird weather. Like our, our winter has been strange or it was super hot. And then it's, it was, I was outside and it was hailing the other day. <laughs> yeah. And it was, of, there was a frost advisory. Yeah. So weather's all over the place. And so we had this, I had this location for a shoot that was like basically 360 ocean views out in Malibu. It was going to be incredible. And um, a couple of days ago, we realized that it was going to rain. We, by the way, I was going to fly my drone. You were going to Matt. You were going to fly the drone, and he canceled it. I can't. This story of my life. I did get. Uh, we flew a drone today, though, which was nice. Oh, because the DP also has a drone that he oh. has to fly. So, which drone did you have? Uh, yours, Same actually. One? Yeah, yeah. So, which, which was really nice, actually, because um, you know, having a little bit of uh, fluency and like the ability to like speak the language was really nice because um when a dp asks like hey what shot do you want and you're not used to thinking in the terms of like you know giant pieces of space like where you can fly a couple hundred feet up into the air and you can kind of go anywhere but also you're worried about power lines and stuff having a little bit of experience in thinking about in those terms was really helpful actually so i recommend going and fucking around with your friend and a drone but otherwise things were great but yeah boy this weather stuff it's funny how having to change the location like this, even though it's not that last minute, has like doubled my scouting time and it's just been this domino effect of stuff. So um, the team has been really great and we've recovered from all of it. But uh, we get uh, used to daylight and sunshine here in LA. Yeah. No one, I mean, yes, you plan for rain days, but no one really expects rain days here. Yeah. Yeah, which is why part of why you shoot in LA, right? Yeah, it's kind of the main reason, and, and being <laughs> able to like in this series, we're going to be going all over the place. So, getting all the different locales that you want is the other reason that Hollywood is, um, in Hollywood, right? Oh, Hollywood's in Hollywood now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, before we get into our conversation with Addie, we are going to hear from Cameron Woodward at Film Casualty going to tell us a little bit about why we should care about insurance. We sat down with our friend Cameron from Film Casualty to talk a little bit more about the ins and outs of insurance and how the fine folks at Film Casualty could help us out. A location uh, I want to shoot at is asking for $2 million in liability insurance. Uh, is that for real? Is there a world where I can afford that much insurance? What does that even mean? And like, what do I need it for a one-day spec commercial or my own short? So one of the most common insurance products for filmmakers is a general liability policy. And this covers most often $1 million per occurrence, $2 million in aggregate. That's what everyone is looking for when you're trying to file for a permit or when you're trying to rent a location to shoot. Sure, but and why do I need that for my 5D that cost 5000 bucks? Well, you might be able to convince the landowner or property owner that you don't need it and just make a, a deal with them. But if they insist that you do need that coverage, it's going to protect that 
property owner's property, and it's also gonna protect against any type of negligence that occurs on set that could possibly hurt somebody. Right, that insurance doesn't protect your gear, it protects their location, right? That's right. Like if you yeah. fall through their stained glass window. Absolutely, so water damage, broken tiles, C-stand scratching a wooden floor, general liability can, can cover those types of claims. Cool, my friends did a shoot and one of the art department people put a can of like spray paint or something in the oven and someone accidentally turned it on and like the whole oven exploded and it was like, a Viking or I don't know, some super expensive oven. And so that's Dang. the type of thing that happens when people are moving around at super fast speeds. It's funny how that's... people are like, nothing's going to get hurt or damaged. Yeah, but don't worry, don't worry. How many times have you seen a C-stand with some giant thing on top of it fall on an actress? And you're like, uh, so uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway, but insurance solves everything. For more information about how to protect your film business, gear, project, and crew, go to filmcasualty.com slash just shoot it. That's filmcasualty.com slash just shoot it. Insurance for every kind of filmmaker. Hey, thanks, Cameron. Let's jump into our interview with Addy. Okay, so we're here with Addy Shankar. 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 It's hard to say Addy and then Shankar. Would you agree? Well, I mean, I don't say it because I'm not like walking around saying my name out loud. Well, what if you're like, I'm not an egomaniac. Yeah, sure. You when, try getting a podcast, then you have to say it. Because right? then you'd be like, hi, I'm Addy Shankar. I'm on the Addy Shankar podcast. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, that would just feel super douchey. Yeah. Have you been on a lot of podcasts? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, what's interesting. I like, I do a lot of like, like media stuff. Weirdly, and I, it's not like I wanted to do a lot of media stuff. You know, I didn't start off going like, you know, it'd be great to do a lot of media stuff. Sure. Um, it just started like happening, and uh, I mean, man, I was like really bad at it for a while. At like being interviewed, yeah. <laughs> being, but media is part of like your part of like your whole thing, right? Like your whole strategy of like how you get work and how you've made movies and how you've like you're you're a little bit of a disruptor, would you wouldn't you say? Okay. But not intentionally. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not intentionally a disruptor. That's the weirdest thing. I'm, I'm, it's like I just have, I, I start doing things and then all of a sudden people are like, man, that was really disruptive. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> oh, it was? Oh, I okay. I just thought it was a cool thing. Some of the cool things that I know about you is that you, I mean, I, this is the thing everyone says about you, right? You're the youngest producer to ever have a number one film at the box office, which was The Grey. No, it's interesting. It's interesting um, to yeah, hear, yeah. hear someone else okay. say. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Because like... Yeah. But I know you... Say say just this like... Yeah. I, I, yeah. And the other big thing, right? The other thing uh, worth talking about is... Everything's worth talking about. But bringing up is uh, you produced the Power Rangers bootleg that kind of galvanized uh, interest in making the feature, basically. That kind of like popularized, oh, you could make a cool, gritty reboot of the power rangers and you yeah. also did the punisher bootleg isn't there i feel like i saw someone mention like the bootleg universe at some point yeah it's uh, the name of the the fan films yeah but uh even though people have been making fan films forever you kind of did like the a-list fan film right you had joseph khan who's like top music video director direct it you had mm -hmm. james vanderbeek in it and then you had thomas jane in the punisher one and i mean you didn't seem to 
spare the production value at all. It wasn't like shot in someone's apartment with like two friends, right? It's like the real deal. Yeah. But without any permission. Yeah. So how do you go about doing that? Like how many times were you planning this Power Rangers bootleg and people told you, no, don't do that? Like no one. Everyone was do it, was down for it? Yeah, because I was calling people, right? Like, because I'm like, man, you know what would be really cool? I want to make a Power Rangers thing, but it's like my favorite show. Well, one of my favorites, it was my second favorite show, but they were like really child soldiers. Sure. And then people would be like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they were. I'm like, yeah, it's just like Blood Diamond. You know, it's like a dude in a tube shows up and's like, hello, children. How's school today? And you're like, good. Here's a gun. Go fight an alien. Like... That's fucked up. Sure. That's crazy. That's right. super yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how is no one like talking about that? <laughs> Which is a, like a great like what party message bed, are right? you are you are you telling children? Like, yo, <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, if a dude shows up, as long as he's in a tube and he has like a robot and he gives you guns, like that's cool. I always thought it was like this weird Japanese show. Um, it was, yeah, Super Sentai. So I guess I kind of thought it was the version of Something it in my head. Something lost in which, translation. Well, I thought right. it's like, we got all this crazy footage from Japan. Let's see if we but can that's, But that's the show work. in Japan, too. I mean, because I, I grew up, I'm not, I'm not uh, from, I'm an immigrant here. I'm, right, from, I, you I, lived in Hong Kong. I lived so. in Hong Kong. So when I was, when I was young, I would watch Super Sentai. That was the irony of the whole thing. And I didn't really want to get into that. Like with, with the, uh, way, way back then, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm not really ripping off Power Rangers. I'm, or, or, you know, spoofing Power Rangers, I'm spoofing this entire genre because mm-hmm. it's not just Super Sentai. There, there, there's a whole block of programming in Japan that shows just like that. Sure. Different companies make that, right? There's there's a character called Ultraman, sure. for instance, right? Uh, the Cayman Rider. These are all like different characters that with that kind of vibe, right? Mm-hmm. The one that popped in America is, it just happens to be the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Right, right. Which was, they, which was... Super Sentai, the footage bought and then recut with different actors telling a slightly modified right. storyline. Right. And like an American high school. Yes. Kid, right. Mm-hmm. Or are they high school or are they younger? Yeah, they're in high, high school. school. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so you are a fan of yeah. this show. You're a fan of that show. You've got this bit, right? You're like, that's your, your theory. Like, that's fun to like hang out and talk to people about. But I think most people would be like... I don't, oh, this is I a don't rant know. That I no, no, no. I'm going to stop you right there. I don't, okay. I don't hang out and talk to people. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't like have that thing, right? Because I have an idea and then I start, when I, when I talk to people, mm-hmm. I'm not like telling them a bit. I'm saying, hey, I'm trying to, I want to like make this like right now. How do I do it? Like, can you help me make this? So, so how do you make that leap though? Because you must have other ideas that you don't Constantly. Express, yeah. But right? like, no, no, no. What happened was then I just got so stressed out. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't make these anymore. Like I have like a, a bunch of stuff that I want to do. Even like right now, like I went on some like um, some show on Complex after Power Rangers came out because the next week I dropped a James Bond one because I was like, man, this guy's just a serial killer. Um, But then the government says it's cool. So it's cool. Like that's fucked up. Like you're going to take the license to kill away from this this dude and then you're going to put him in an office and then he's going to start killing people. Now, he may not he may not just, you know, open fire on the office, but he's he's been sold a lifestyle. He's been sold a lifestyle. Right. Um, and then we're by proxy, we're selling the public a lifestyle. We're saying, Hey, you can go out and kill all these people and do all these bad things. And as long as an authority figure, the government says it's cool, like it's cool. Yeah. So, so I want to know though, you've got these great ideas. How it, the first thing it, it sounds like is that in order to set them into the, motion, you start calling people. Yeah. Is it really that, that quick? Is it's like, Oh, I'm going to 
make this happen? You're yeah. a man of action. Like, yeah. who are you calling? You're finding a director or a cast, or who do you who did you attach first on Power Rangers? Maybe well, you me. know what? I I don't like a lot of Hollywood lingo, like words like attach, because they're so passive. You know, it's like, oh, I, I casually attached it. It's like, no, are you making the movie? Are you writing the thing or not? Like, because I deal with a lot of like the business fools, uh, the sure, business sure. dudes in, in Hollywood too. <laughs> business fools, I like that. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, it's because they'll, they'll they'll sell projects to a studio, right? Or they used to do this. I don't know. Like I think because everything's scaled back, everyone's had to had to stop. But um, because they would like sell movies with like, oh, and Johnny Depp's attached to the script, and then years go by and somehow Johnny Depp detaches himself, mm-hmm. and then you're like, why did you? Right. You're a guy that doesn't wait to attach people and sell, try to sell projects and wait three years and see that they yeah. fall apart. So who's the first person you call for Power Rangers? Uh, my buddy Dutch, who um, Dutch is like a screenwriter. He had a script on the blacklist called um, Hoof Harrington's Greatest Hits. I loved it. I fucking loved it. It, it was like literally like if it, it's literally like if Edgar Wright made a Liam Neeson movie. And that's literally what I was trying to. And I was trying mm-hmm. to and I optioned the script back in the day from Dutch and I was like trying to make it. And literally like no one got what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, what is this? <laughs> Like, why is this cool? But it's fucking awesome. And um, and did you have a background in film? Like, did you study film in school or anything? No, no, no. I wasn't allowed to do that that stuff, like creative stuff. Um, I wasn't allowed to do it in school. Cause I, I had strict parents, right? Because gotcha, like, if gotcha. you're if you're if you're Indian and sure, you're not sure. and you're like, you know, like coming internationally to go to mm-hmm. like college here, it's to go back and you know be a doctor. Right. Or, you don't want to be like. Hey, I want to make or, movies or like, right. like, like some real business or some something sure. proper. You right? have to have real skills. You have to have like yeah. a real, like yeah. a real, like a real job, right? So, um, when I would talk about it, like I would just see the disappointment on my parents' faces, and not, and not like, oh, daddy's gonna do that film thing. It's like literally, I, I, it would hurt them. Yeah. So I wouldn't talk about creative stuff. I would just be like quiet all day because um, I didn't want to like upset anybody, mm-hmm. right? So I was, um, I ended up with a theater. Um, degree but that was only because i would sneak into theater classes mm-hmm. like i would literally sneak into the theater classes in the school um i got into trouble once because i like i would literally um because yeah they were like you, you know you can't be sneaking into the sure theater people, classes you're like signing up for them for these, yeah. you're, you're, well you're you're taking like uh, i went to northwestern and they have like a amazing theater program sure, yeah, right yeah. so people like audition yeah, to, to like you know, <laughs> right, i'm not right. like i'm not knocking them at all like yeah they shouldn't I, like i shouldn't have been in those 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 theater classes yeah but so okay so you're at northwestern you're kind of hanging out with a lot of theater kids and stuff you're finding oh, they wouldn't they wouldn't hang stuff. out with me they were like this is the <laughs> weird like you were going to class with you're going to class <laughs> yeah with. but you were like very much interested in Film. In the arts, yeah, uh, in the yeah, arts, yeah. I'm just interested in the arts, right? And and uh, in the time timeline in which I existed in, uh, the time period rather, film was the most international art form, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I would have been happy like being a comic book person or a just a painter or something. But you know, the reality is, I, I because film was so global, I was like, man, if I can make something, and then people in India and Hong Kong and, you know, these other places where I grew up, where my parents and their friends are, see it too, then maybe everyone will, like, think it's okay that I'm, like, doing right, stuff right. that's outside the norm and I'm not, like, a doctor. So right. your mission was to please your parents? Yes. To prove to them that you can, that they can be proud of you even if you're working in the arts? <laughs> yeah. 
it's not an uncommon thread on this show. That's, that really? happens. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I wow. Mean, yeah. My, we talk, Seriously? We, yeah, we have yeah. like a million yeah. different reasons for why we do this show, but like one thing that I always bring up is like, you know that guy or that girl whose parents are like, don't go into film because there's the, ch- the odds of you making it are like so There's slim. only one Steven Spielberg. Right. Um, like listen to this show and we'll tell you about all the non-famous people, everyone that's not Steven Spielberg that's made it in the, in the film industry, you know, um, like Brad Payton, like no, you know, my parents don't know who Brad Payton is, but the guy is directing like gigantic Huge studio films, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. there's a lot of people working here and a lot of people and, happy and, and successful. Yeah. And Brad Payton, like, you know, uh, we had a meeting, like, I think I mentioned like, like I think it was like six, seven, six, seven, six, seven years ago. He'd made like two studio movies mm-hmm. back then. Cats and Dogs too. He'd done Cats and Dogs, and I, what, what did he do after that? Journey. Yeah, Journey too. He'd just yeah, yeah. done Journey as well. Yeah. So he was coming off of those those two. His story is crazy. He and he'd dude, never directed he, a movie before. He was the nicest, nicest, like just just the sweetest guy. And I was like, very, very smart, obviously very very talented, um, but just such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show, like. Just being pleasant to be around, being like nice, being like humble, sure, uh, goes a long way. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Circling back though, so Power Rangers. Power, I want to learn how you made Power Rangers. Yeah, well, I do that thing where it could be like a, you know, ten bullet point answer, but I start telling a story and it like becomes a tangent. Is that a, is that cool? That is With, the show, yeah. man. That that's, is the show. Yeah, that's okay. okay. Yeah, that's why it takes us forty five minutes. But so you called Dutch. So I called Dutch and um, Dutch is used to me having like crazy ideas Mm -hmm. Um, because I called him up once and I was like, we're going to make a female Expendables movie. And and then I like attached a bunch of like attached. There we go. I even use the word because I but I I use see, I use the word attached like as a negative to me because (laughs) it's like I attached it and it didn't get made, you know, like, (laughs) right. It's not like I are you allowed to tell us who you had on there? Goldie Hawn. No, uh, so I had Gina Carano. Cool. She was just coming off of Haywire. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Haywire? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of action ladies. Who else? I had uh, Katie Sackhoff. Cool. Who then later oh, ended okay. up in the in, in Power Rangers. Oh, right. And that's yeah, yeah. how Katie and I met, too. Cool. Off of that. Oh, cool. Um, dude, I met with, like, everyone, too. And I was, like, I, was, like, I literally, like, met uh, Marina Backren, who was later in Deadpool. She's, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Deadpool's mm-hmm. wife. Marina's so nice. And like... Wait, so you Yeah, just, so I literally like wrote the villain part for, for her. her. Yeah. Um, Wait, so you just so, said... You just said like, let's make a female Expendables and then you just started meeting with people? Yeah. Did you have a script or anything? Well, I, I, I like came up with the idea when I was like saying it, right? Because the whole <laughs> thing was basically like the raid. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in, in Johannesburg, mm-hmm. in, uh, in like uh, a mega tower. But isn't that Dread? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's like four mega towers, and three of them get like drone missile striked by a terrorist person, and the American president, who's was also a woman, it's because we have like our first female president, and she was like trapped. So this was this was like in 2012, right? So right, even right. now, now everything I'm saying it sounds kind of dated, but like keep in mind, this is 2012. Like when I when I said this to people in 2012, they were like, "Dude, this is crazy." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> drone strikes? What's that? Like, right? Yeah, right. You know. Um, Again, yeah, no, it was just, you know, it was just a little, little nuts. Um, so Dutch was used to me being crazy. Right, right. So when I called him up, I was like, yo, man, you can't write, you know. So then, yeah, so then he handed in a, a script. 
Um, so what parameters do you give them? Do you tell them you want to make a short? Like, do you say like, let's just make it like, no, no, no. I'm like dictating it to people. I'm like, all right, this happens and this happens and this happens. Right. And then he's like, what if this happens? I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then it like came back. This is like in the room together. You're working on it. Or you just call them up and say that. Well, I generally like call people because if you're in the room with them, it's like really annoying because then it takes a while to get in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Right. But this, yeah, this happened in the room, um, too. Me and Dutch had a shorthand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, but you don't know how long it's going to be or what the budget is or any of that stuff yet. You guys are just like, let's just write the coolest fucking thing we can think no, of. No, I, I said 10 pages because I wanted it to be the same length as, as Dirty Laundry. Mm -hmm. And that was the Punisher one? Yeah. Uh-huh. So you had done the Punisher one already? Uh-huh. Oh, so Power Rangers came after that? Yes. So was, Power Rangers is why I stopped making them. Was Dirty Laundry the first one you yeah. did? Yeah. And did you do any in between those two? Yeah. I did a Venom one. Oh, I didn't know the uh, Venom one. That's excellent. The uh, the Venom one was, uh, it's like, um, there's a there's a French movie called Man Bites Dog. It's yeah, like, uh, yeah, documentary, mockumentary. Yes. Yes. I love that film. I always talk about it. No one's ever so, seen it. So um, I did a mashup of Man Bites Dog meets Venom, where it's a, it's a bunch of journalists following around this like corrupt journalist dude, played by Ryan Quantin from True Blood. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, the twist at the end is he's Venom. Fun. Cool. So there, it's like a mockumentary about Eddie Brock and how terrible of a human being he is. Sure, sure. The lethal protector. Yeah. Uh, and then I did a Dread one. So did it as like a satirical, like Ren and Stimpy style cartoon. Mm -hmm. And then Power Rangers and then... So, so, let, so that's interesting. So you've got kind of this breadth of work in like this bootleg fan film sort of world, right? What drives you to keep making them? Is it just you love an idea and you don't want to ask for permission? Yeah. That's a beautiful answer. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go through the process. And can I ask how you're funding them? Like, is there outside money? What, how does that happen? They've all been, like, totally different. And that's why, like, dude, if I had, like, an infinite, like, vault of cash, like, we would have a different one of these, like, every week. Sure. Like, every week. I'd be like, all right, this time, um, it's Alf. Sure. But he's like a real sitcom, like that that Alf show. It was like real, and he. It's both Jack Horseman meets. But Alf. yeah, he hasn't worked yeah. since the he exactly hasn't worked yeah, since yeah. the the thing, and then he's uh, since the sitcom, and now he got busted because there's a, a tape has leaked of him saying all a bunch of offensive things. Sure, sure. And now he has to go defend himself on talk shows. And he ate a tiger, <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. Like so, there sure. there would be like a lot of wacky ideas that would come out all the time. So. So Dirty Laundry, yeah. was that the first uh, was, splash yeah. that you kind of made? Um, I wasn't trying to make a splash, though. Right. But it, but it unintentionally became... It unintentionally made, made a splash. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Like, we just made it. And, and I, like, had it on, on, a, on an external hard drive, just, like, chilling there. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll, like, have, we'll have, like, a screening or something. And keep in mind, this this is like this was like a long time ago, right? I didn't realize I could like open my own YouTube account. <laughs> right. <laughs> what year was it? Can I look it up? Um, uh, 2011. Like I dropped it in 2012, but we shot it in 2011. So, oh, or rather, we started the process in like 2011. So you find Thomas? Like, did you know Thomas Jane? Yeah. Before that, yes. And you worked with him or something? No. But you just knew of him and you gave him a call. Um, no. Um, his agent, um, at the time, just set me up in a meeting with him. Got it. And so, you were like, this guy seems kind of like the Punisher. 
Well, no, he played the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. He played the Punisher in in in, uh, in, in, uh, in. Did he get two in, movies? No, he got one. He dropped okay. out of the second one. So oh, there was Punisher. That's right. That's right. Uh, then there was Punisher Warzone, which which yes. Alexi Alexander uh, directed, uh, and Ray Stevenson played the Punisher. So yeah. Um, oh, so he had already played the Punisher before you. Oh yeah, yeah. Lionsgate made the made the film. Um, that movie gets uh, a bad rap. It's pretty good. You remember there's a scene where he uses popsicle sticks to think that he's to trick that guy into thinking that he's yeah. getting branded. That's yeah. a great gag. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're like, hey, let's make an unauthorized. That's even crazier. So he was the Punisher, like the authorized Why Punisher. Why is that crazier? Because it's like if you went to Robert Downey Jr. and said, let's make a bootleg like Iron Man short, he'd be like, well, let me call the Marvel. Let me just talk to the Marvel guys real quick. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's somebody else's intellectual property, right? You don't have the rights to it. I mean, international property is not like a thing. Sure. <laughs> it's somebody else. I'm going to start sounding like some crazy like hippie. <laughs> so we should no. probably just not. No, get no, into no, this. no. No, I love it though. But that, it's it's not a thing. I love that it, that you don't think it's a thing because obviously, who fucking cares? You made all these awesome things and it's been great, right? Um, so I guess Oren and I are the squares in the room right now. But so it's yeah. cool that you're like not worried about it. But you understand how it's like, oh, maybe we have these preconceived notions that are holding us back, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. and, and I think our viewers, there's plenty of people out here who, or listeners who love the properties that you've just gone and made a thing of, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is like... It's a language, right? I look yeah. at it as a language. It's like a shared language, right? Sure. Um, like with the Power Rangers thing specifically, this is how I saw the show as a kid. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a. I, I saw this show this way as a kid. The stakes were that high, so you yeah. translated it to an adult audience. Right. Yeah. So when I translated it to an adult audience, I didn't translate it to an adult audience. I made something for other people who were watching the show just like me. Mm-hmm. That's what the that was the people who watched the short, right? So that's why I'm saying intellectual property is not a real thing because these are these are because if they're so connected with like um, part of the social fabric, mm-hmm. especially in a time period. Like it becomes hard to talk about it, then without infringing on someone's intellectual property. It'd be like if the Bible was owned by Disney, sure. And then we couldn't talk about Jesus without getting sued. Well, it's like okay, well, now I've like lost some words in the English dictionary, right? Because and so, like Disney owns them. So you decided to go for it, right? You made these things. I didn't decide. To, I, I don't know. It's like I was just like <laughs> doing it, you know. If that, sure, that but, makes but sense, there was, like, there was I a period that we weren't I'm, doing I'm, it, right? Pardon? There was a period where you weren't doing it. And then, you, you know what I mean? I, I guess what I'm There's trying to... There's a threshold it, between you being in college and not making your own thing, and then you making your own thing, right? No, it's like I literally just got off the plane and I was just like trying to make stuff like all day, every day. Like there wasn't a like a sitting around like thinking, strategizing period. It was just I was like doing it. The thinking, strategizing period came over the last like year. Like Got over it. the last year, I'm finally like snapping out of it and going like, wow, what was I doing? Like the last, my 20s was <laughs> fucking insane. Sure, sure. Like, oh my God. So what are you strategizing about now then? So you've made all these well, movies. Now what I'm, have you now learned? I, I, I kind of like wanted to like reflect on my life and be like, how did I, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. What, what, like how did these events happen? Sure. Well, you um, should listen to the podcast episode. Pardon? You should listen to this episode and you'll get yeah, all that answer. Like, get the clarity. Um <laughs> It's kind of like a therapy session. Thing. Wait, so I guess what I'm curious, and I, and I think our audience would really care about, is how you chose directors for these various things. I know now you're 
directing a new show. And I know you're obviously, it sounds like you're very involved creatively in every project, but how do you find that person that you trust to, to work with? That's a great question. Um, I mean, a lot of it just also comes down to access, right? So who directed Dirty Laundry? Phil Juanu. I knew his brother-in-law, Scott Frank, who's a screenwriter uh, and also director. Um, And Tom also knew Phil. And then you're just like, you told him kind of what? We just kind of got in a room together. Felt, you know what it felt like? Here's the difference. I'm like, I'm kind of like putting two and together right now, right here. When when you make like a normal movie, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like things like, oh, you go and attach talent. We'll we'll send contracts between the lawyers who will take six months to do anything. Um, We've made an offer to this person. He hasn't read this. There's all these like weird formalities. (laughs) Right. And then when I was making these bootlegs, it felt like just friends getting together and making the thing. You know, Tom's like, hey, you know, I like uh, I like this guy, Phil. Yeah. Me and Phil go way back. I'm like, oh, I know Phil. He's uh, he's Scott's Scott's brother-in-law. Yeah. Let's sit down with Phil. And then Phil's and he's like, yeah. And he's got all this like energy. And, you know, Phil's like, and we're going to shoot it this way. And this is how we're going to make it. And, and then there you go. And there you go. And it's just, and you're making a thing while every fucking one else was just sitting there talking about making something. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it used to drive me insane. Now, again, this is like 2011 when things were like, like super rigid and structure, structured, right? Mm-hmm. I think things have like become better now. But so if like our listeners wanted to do the same thing, I mean, I, I imagine that a lot of people that listen to this show are like, damn, that's like my dream. Like what this guy did is like find awesome actors, find awesome writers, directors and everything, team up, go make this awesome stuff and just keep making it and making, you know, getting like people excited about your work. Like what, like, you know, I mean, I think probably a big barrier to a lot of people is like financing all this stuff and also kind of having access to those those actors and directors like, and stuff. Hold up. I've like made normal movies, right? Some of them were in theaters. Some of them were like number one in the box office and, and stuff, right? Like my name's on these like things. Right. But like all you guys are sitting here talking about are these fan films. All I'm sitting here talking about are these fan films. The only thing like Netflix talks to me about are my fan films right like that's that's why that's that's why i got castlevania off mm-hmm. the ground right it had nothing to do like no one went um uh, that that feature film um it did very well in the box office we should we should absolutely get castlevania you know that they weren't doing that they went dude your fan films were awesome what do you want to do and i was like i want to do castlevania as an anime and they're like okay um and the, the fan films started because of Dirty Laundry. The Punisher one, you guys have seen it. How much do you think it costed to make it all in? Am I allowed to ask how many days you shot for or no? Just I, throw out a number and we'll talk about it. $50,000. Yeah, I guess 50 if you like, if Tom, if Jane is like working for free, basically, if yeah, you get a bunch fr- of favors. Friends and family, right? So, yeah. I mean, there's explosions and there's fire in there. Um, you have a street, you have a liquor store under 10 really under 10 and this is way back when right you shoot this that is on a film no but uh. this is way back when this was 2011 10 grand in 2011 that'd be even less today yeah it'd be like so five. like right. yeah it's a lot because you know you could buy like 
Sure, ten thousand dollars is right. a lot. A lot of, of use but not much that. for this movie. Yeah. So I don't want to be a douche. At the same time, I'm all about the democratization mm-hmm. of this stuff, right? Because I've never viewed film as like just pure entertainment. I viewed it as a weapon. <laughs> right. You laughed. Why you don't agree with me? I guess I always think of film like what draws me to film and what I fell in love with in film is it's like it especially directing is like you're kind of like a general in the army but it's like you're making art instead of it's, making war it's because it's because you're so I think of it as because you guys are very like process oriented right because you like make this stuff I'm talking about it's a weapon for the people distributing it I'll give you an example um, I'll give you a couple examples like, do you remember, have you seen Star Wars? Uh, the latest one? Or uh, the like the old ones, the original yeah. ones. Remember that? Do, do you remember Luke Skywalker fighting Darth Vader? Sure. In the original, Luke Skywalker versus Darth yeah, Vader. Yeah. You remember that image? Okay. It's an iconic image, right? In your mind. You're seeing it in your mind? In your mind, are you seeing it on, like, a TV screen? A movie screen? Mm-hmm. Or are you seeing it like you're actually, like, there? Like you're there. Yeah, sure. It's like you're there, right? So your mind remembers that image as a memory. Mm -hmm. Your body is processing that like it's a memory. These are fake memories, these iconic images. These are fake memories that are being incepted into you. It's a weapon. Just like in the same way if we were to open, you guys watch Friends? Yeah. If we were to open the door right now and David Schirmer were to walk in and sit down, your body would react to him like an old friend, like someone you've known your whole life. It would be very uncomfortable because this is like <laughs> my old friend, but he does not have that relationship with you because you were weaponized or it was weaponized against you. Now, look, this is we're talking about like friends and Star Wars. Sure. Fine. Those are like, those are as non, you know, non-lethal. But the point is you see the power now of the media. Mm-hmm. This is a weapon and it can be used. And the trick is, and the, and the, and the, and the power of this weapon is people don't, they aren't sure, you know, what, um, when it's being used and, and how it was used mm-hmm. because, like, you effectively are just a kaleidoscope of sounds and images that make up your life that you then tell your story around. Mm-hmm. Now, some of those images are being provided to you by um, a third party. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's wild, man. Yeah, for sure. I is guess that, I just, is that really crazy? No, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I guess I think of a weapon as something that destroys things. <laughs> uh, that's, that's why. I, that's the only thing. But like you think it's like something that you're using it, the word is something that like, well, gets people. Yeah, there's a difference between you're powerful like and yeah, damaging, yeah. right? In either scenario, I think that's like real fascinating what you're saying. Like you had these big Hollywood movies that did really well but people want to talk to you about the fan films and i think yeah it's because it's like i didn't do it i didn't have to do the movies right i could have just made more in fact i should have just made more fan films do you <laughs> think do you think that uh that's totally true like because I, I could imagine a scenario where people are excited because of the fan films, but then they're put at ease that like you know what you're doing and you can do it on a certain scale and with a certain budget because of the the traditional quote unquote mainstream movies. I think that's a good sales pitch. I'm gonna use that shit. Great you just said. You take it. Yeah. <laughs> Run yeah. with it, man. Well the fan films think- are what make you stand out. Right. Right. And then the fact that you 
you know, produce the gray. Yeah, and there's like, also like that period, hurt. yeah, where I wore like face paint. That, that was, you know. I think this is a super empowering, exciting idea, though. I think the point that you're making about the fan films versus the quote unquote legit work is a thing that our listeners are going to be really excited by, right? Because I think that the people at home, a lot of them, feel limited in some way because like maybe they don't have the money or they don't have the resources, they don't have the connections or they don't have the permission. But what connections? I'm confused. This this is my point. It doesn't matter. None of that matters is what you're saying, right? Like access is valuable, but for the most part, making a cool thing. But like connections, like connections to whom? Like that's what I never got, right? Like, like Mark Wahlberg is just a dude. Sure. Sure. So like if you like walk up and down this street, like I'm sure you'll find someone who's a better actor than him. Right. So then really what value is Mark Wahlberg bringing other than he's Mark Wahlberg? Well, I guess like press or something. I mean, you, sure. you know, you used very recognizable people in your. Yeah, but these are just work. literally like friends of mine. Sure. Right. And in the same way, I'm saying that a kid um, who lives in like, Michigan right now. Right. Who isn't going to. No, no, I, I understand, understand the concept. Yeah. No, no, I understand yeah. the concept. I guess I'm just being a little, little like, like, like what connections, right? Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking like the, the right. listeners. The listeners. And I'm, I'm like, saying it doesn't matter, guys. Right. Yeah. There, there's no. There's no. Like you don't need connections. You just need to find someone who's like good at what they do. I feel like the biggest lesson from here is uh, from this interview, obviously, is like just just keep making stuff and don't worry about anything and don't be afraid that this person is too important to talk to or that this person own that you don't own the IP just, they're, or they're any just of just a stuff. person. Like no one is more important than you. They're just a, they're just a person. And if they act more important than you, then they're like a douche. Mm-hmm. Then they're like insecure and you're like kind of just, you know. Sure. Go find someone thing. new. Yeah. And like, I'm not, I'm not like trying to get stuff from people, right? I was like, this is like a kind of a silly story. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I really like what we, what we do in the shadows, right? Because I really like mockumentaries. So I, I just like randomly saw Taika Watiki, the, the dude directed it, right? And I've never met him before. Mm-hmm. But I just like walked up to him. I was like, hey, you directed what we do in the shadows. And he's like, yeah. And then, like, I was like, can I ask you some questions about how you made that film? And he's like, absolutely. So I sat there and just talked to him for, like, about 20 minutes. And he was, like, answering all my questions, right? Like, doesn't know that I, like, sure. do this professionally at all. He was just, like, I literally had some legit questions about, like, uh, uh, how we did certain things, how we achieved certain effects, how, uh, how we achieved the tone, like, what his process was. Mm-hmm. And he, like, answered all these questions to me, right? I wasn't trying to, like, get anything from this dude. I just, like, wanted some knowledge. And he was, like, more than happy to share it with me. Yeah, that's cool. That's why we have um, this podcast. So you don't have to have a podcast to ask directors questions. We spend a lot of money on microphones. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just like intellectually curious about certain things. So I just like go and like ask just go questions for or, and like yeah. figure out how things work. That was right. the other thing. I was trying to figure out how things work. Mm-hmm. And my time like trying to like figure out how everything worked. I was like, oh, okay, this Hollywood machine's broken. It'll be fixed at some point. I'm going to go off and just do other things. I'm realizing that now. Uh huh. Right. Back then, I was just like, "This doesn't work." I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. Next. Yeah, you're not even paying attention. It's not like nothing. Nothing's like moving here, because the the process by which movies were getting like picked in greenlit were were just uh, a little weird. Right. A little weird, and also you could sense public ch- uh, tastes were changing. It was not too dissimilar from to back when the studios made like musicals, mm-hmm. and like people didn't want to see musicals. And then that's when you got the generation that made like The Godfather and right. and that because literally people like stopped caring about the movies and then they were like we need to give the the kids something fresh and then you got like right 
Sure. The 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And The Godfather was like a super pulpy, popular book. Yeah. Like kids, yeah, young people like love this book. Let's make it into a movie. Mm-hmm. It's like the Harry Potter of the 70s. So uh, what I'm hearing, though, is that, you know, you're you're not even worrying about taking the time to synthesize something. You're just drawn to things and you act, right? Yeah. What what are you drawn to right now? What are you like? What's the attractive thing for you right now? Are you between projects or no? No, no, no. I um, well, I have a film coming out in uh, in, in in a few months. It's called Bodied. Uh, I produced it with Eminem. Oh, cool. uh, Joseph Kahn directed it. Uh, awesome. Uh, and he co-wrote it with Alex Larson, who's uh, who's a battle rapper. It's, it's it's about free speech and also underground battle rap. Um, that's awesome. Is that uh, it's the best reviewed thing I've ever been a part of um, oh, cool. thus far. It won the Audience Choice Award at Toronto Fantastic Fest and AFI. Oh, sick! Uh, I I'm uh, I put together that that Castlevania mm-hmm. uh, anime with uh, Netflix season one like performed super well, right? And it was like really crazy because you know at the end of the day I went in and pitched a cartoon. Sure. Like we should make a violent cartoon and it it was like it was like a like a massive success for them which is like really cool and i'm like wow that was super unexpected who owns castlevania is that nintendo konami oh, okay konami um so i'm working on season two at the moment which will be out later this year and what gets you excited uh, about a second season of castlevania continuing the story because mm-hmm. the season one did not wrap up the story it was it was the team coming together and I've got some other things that I want to do this year. And I made a yeah, I made another thing. It's a it's a it's another show. Well, are you involved in the marketing of a lot of the of your projects, or is that yeah. something that you're not that interested in? Yeah, they like they like force me to be involved now. It's like crazy. But they you, like they like sent me to Japan. Like Netflix sent me to Japan last year. Or like you, you're kind of less about the marketing and much more about the work itself. No, I, I find it interesting. I find it interesting. It's 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 weird when I have to like go out and. Promote stuff. Promote stuff. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, so we'll, Bodied is coming out. Yes. When is that coming out? Like two months. Cool. Two, is two, that who's months. releasing that? Uh, Neon and YouTube oh, teamed cool. up. So That's it's like cool. really crazy. I think it's like the, that's never happened before. Um, yeah, YouTube's making moves, and Neon's relatively new still, right? Well, they did Itania, right, and Colossal. So they do like they do yeah. like well received like cool movies sure, that you sure. See, which, hey, that's good for bodied. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I just realized that I was like, because I, I was just describing them. And I'm like, wait, and they're releasing bodied. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's in bodied? Is it rappers and stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like all the, a lot of the like top battle rappers from today and yesterday. Um, and um, Jackie Long's in it. He's like a fantastic actor. And Caleb Worthy um, as well. He's a Disney star, you guys would know him yeah, from yeah. American Vandal. Yeah, yeah. He played oh, the, yeah, I tried the to cast. He, he's, yeah, he's the one who got a hand job by the... Uh, the guy oh, with the braces. Yeah. Yeah. The guy with the braces, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's real funny. Yeah. Um, I tried to cast him in Shitty Boyfriends. Oh, really? He's, he's so funny. Dude, he's, he's, he's such a phenomenal actor. Um, and I met him because... Oh, yeah, and that's it. So you were asking, oh, how do you cast people, right? And you're like, I'm like, I pick him up and I call him. And then you were like, I think it was you. You were like... How do, you get, How do you get their number? Like, what, what, what is this about, right? Yeah. 
I mean, I guess I'm trying to think, like, if I'm listening to this episode of this podcast, I'm like, yeah, well, but yeah, okay, of course so it's I'll easy for tell, him. Okay, well, I'll tell you how I got Calum. I, I did a day on a Disney Channel movie. Not even a day. Like, I was, I was playing, like, a background photographer. As an actor? Yeah. Um, and I got, like, really into character, too. I grew, like, a handlebar mustache. <laughs> and I was like, no, this character is, like, a failed fashion photographer. And now he's doing high school photos. Yeah, so, uh, and Calum was in that movie. And we just started, like, talking. And we, like, became friends. <laughs> That's cool. And, uh, and then, yeah, like, a few years later, I hit him up. And I was like, can you come in for this thing? Cause right. You're perfect. He is great. Something, Disney kids, they're just, they're trained so efficiently and so quickly yeah. that, like, people, I think, you know, write them off. But to find a young actor with that level of experience mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. There's a, no- yeah, totally. Um. Well, we should probably wrap things up. So yeah. So we're gonna now we're gonna do our unpaid endorsement segment. Unpaid endorsements. So Addy, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I endorse uh, the Pokemon cartoons. Oh, cool. Yeah. The original ones. The original ones. Awesome. Yeah, they are pretty awesome. Where can you watch them? They're all on Netflix. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I used to play the video game. Like the and like the Super Nintendo or Nintendo sixty four one. Well, the Game Boy was the big kind of that first wave. Oh yeah, big yeah, big yeah. deal. And there was Pokemon Snap. I remember being a big deal. You guys remember that? Like you were trying to take photos of Pokemon. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's great. Anyway, cool. Yeah, yeah. hopefully we uh, we get a bootleg or otherwise film. Oh, we'll yeah. see someday. Is there a Pokemon bootleg in the works? It's like weird because like I want like other people to make them. <laughs> so I can watch him. Yeah, sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's the gift that you've given the world. Um, but it would be cool, like... I'll make one. I'll send it to you. Dude, do you go gritty with the Pokemon? Are they, like, like gnarly? Oh, like, well, I don't know if I would do yeah. Pokemon, just because I'm not, like... I didn't really grow yeah, up on what them. Would, what would be your boot like? I mean, Super Mario Brothers is, like, something I spent a lot of time with. I'm playing this game, <laughs> this Marvel game. Uh, that just has all these Marvel characters that I've been kind of like toying around an idea about a guy that's like playing this this game and starts getting kind of haunted by these. He ha- he's like fighting all day long in this game, and then like they start seeing these people in real life, and um, and has to fight them in real life. It's kind of like ruining yeah. his family. Yeah, it's a, it's about uh, Oren's addiction to this game. Yeah, it's, it's basically about it's like an addiction movie about a guy that's addicted to a mobile game. Mine would be Howard the Duck, without a doubt. Dude, yeah. those are both great ideas. Yeah. Your addiction movie, that could be really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like Requiem for a Dream, but instead of drugs, it's a mobile video game. Um, Dude, I want to read that and when it's, it's done. Uh, yeah, well, at first it's just going to be like a short, I think, kind of proof of concept type of thing. Dude, I will but, be in that short. Yeah? If you want you me in play, the short. Uh, yeah. I'll I'm, play the addicted guy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is he an everyman? Because I'm not an everyman. He's... Uh, he's an orange man. He's kind of like based on me. He's like a little more corporate than me, I guess. But, um, but fuck, it, that means I have to cut my hair. I can't. But, I can't be in this. Put a wig on you. My problem is always like I was like so afraid to use these like Marvel characters, but I feel like after talking to you, I shouldn't worry about it. I was like, do I need to invent all my own heroes? Because part of the fun of it is that there's all these like r- characters you know, and like every time we go to see a movie, we go to see Black Panther. Like I know who Killmonger is. Uh, not from the comic because he's in my game. And every time a new movie comes out, like they add the characters into the game. 
So anyway, uh, that's awesome. So my endorsement is, it's a re-endorsement of Matt's endorsement, which was this book from Jenna Fisher called The Actor's Survival Guide. I think it's called that. And I was reading the back jacket of it this morning, and it has all these reviews from these other actors, John Hamm and uh, Juliana Margulies. And I felt like their endorsements of the book were really weak. Like John Hamm's like, every new actor should read this book. And Juliana Margulies is like, uh, there's information in here that's really insightful. And I'm like, dude, why isn't anyone writing that dude, they're this... just They're speaking old people. Yeah, why is that's how old people speak, because yeah, yeah. like... Um, there's something about text messaging that's changed the rhythm by which <laughs> young people speak. So, so to us, that sounds very tame and mute because like they used to, cause, cause now the only thing that gets you is like, this is the greatest fucking book ever. Oh my God. You have to, you know, cause there's sure. so much like that would have been a ringing endorsement. Right. Like, yeah. But the book, book just came out and it sounds like it, you could write that review without having read the book. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, maybe that's part. But of it. I think the book is so funny. Like we read the disaster. I read the Disaster Artist, which was recommended by someone else on the podcast. You know, and that book is so funny. Like I literally, I was, <laughs> I've told this on the podcast a million times. But like my wife was sleeping in bed next to me, and I would have to like read like depressing news to stop laughing because I was like laughing so hard from this book. And I mean, je- je- like this book isn't that funny, but it's real funny. She has this whole chapter about headshots, and she like has all these pictures of her headshots and how bad they are. And she talks about the evolution of how she got to the headshot that like got her the office. And it, it seems so obvious, but it, there's something kind of like pretty genius about her mm-hmm. coming to understand who she was, you know, and, and like just owning it in a way where other people would own it, you know, yeah. like she had a manager that was like, Oh, you got to go with this photographer. He did like Angelina Jolie. And she shows the, the headshot from that guy. And it's like, all this crazy eyeshadow and she's like crazy, like sexy vixen. And she's like, I love this photo, but that wasn't me, you know? Right. Um, so, so interesting. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. So, you, so basically, and this is, and the brilliance of that is basically she's saying, look, we all fit into an archetype. We fit into a character profile, lean into it, not away from it. Yeah. Well, she, so she has, she says that and then she kind of uh, goes into it a little bit where she's like, Try to think of five adjectives. Like, don't ask yourself, but ask your friends or even strangers. Five adjectives that when they look at you, they would just describe you in that way. So for herself, it was like vulnerable, like like nice, cute, uh, open, soft or something. Something along those lines. And so she told her headshot photographer, she's like, this, this is what I want this photo to show. That I am this and this and this. Not that I'm sexy or not that I'm... Like wearing cute overalls or not that I'm like stylish. Just I I want people to see I'm open, vulnerable. and Oh, wow. That's awesome. And she has this whole list of like 100 adjectives. Essence, I think, is a helpful thing for an actor, especially early on when they're just kind of trying to like. A hundred percent. Well, I think I think all people. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All people, you know, because because it's good to know the assumptions people are going to make about you. Mm hmm going yeah. in and and not really look at yourself as like look at yourself as a character in a film like you walk on screen what is it what, what like you don't even talk what is it mm-hmm. saying right. right what is that vibe what right. is the message you're saying? because then because then you have to like calibrate that right to to accentuate right like, and that's what she said like originally she's like i'm an actor i can do anything because when she went to theater school she's like they they purposely type like cast you opposite of a role that you'd be so that you'd learn range and can be like 
the super badass and then the super meek person, you know? Yeah. The problem I had was, um, and, and again, things are so great now. I, this is why I can like say this out loud and everyone's like, yeah, I kind of get it. Like people couldn't look past the fact that I was Indian. Hmm. So I, so I never got feedback on anything. So I, I didn't know what my type was. I didn't know like, I, uh, cause I, I wanted to be an actor. That was like my thing. Um, and there were like no roles for me because I didn't right. want to play a terrorist. Right. Um, again, way back when. Um, yeah, it was it was just kind of like rough. Um, which is why I'm so like pro democracy of content mm-hmm. because things were rough. Not just you know for me as a as an Indian, but pretty much anyone, right? Like right. very few movies for, told from a from a woman's point of view. Like if very few stories told from like much any minority's point of view right there was there was kind of like one way of being that was like zapped down into you and everyone felt bad about it about themselves because they weren't part of sure. <laughs> that way of being and and now like you get great shows that are just told from different points of view right you know from people from like all walks of life and that's just becoming more and more prevalent and that's why like now is the best time in recorded human history to be like an artist or a storyteller or someone with a story to tell because if you're that kid in Michigan, you can tell your story mm-hmm. and like a couple thousand people might respond to it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I found that now I feel like I used to pitch things that were really specific and people would be like, yeah, but no one's going to want to hear about like a horror film about a Jewish mother trying to kill like a Catholic girl. It's like too too specific, too inciting. No, I think that's awesome. And now it's like... Dude, you're two for two, bro. Like, you said two, like, dope. You dropped two dope ideas. Thanks. Um, but now it's like, you, if you don't have the specificity, then you're just telling the same story than everyone's told. And it's like, it's cool. And I've come to realize, like, you can't rely on... I mean, being, like, a white guy in my 30s, like, I can't just tell the same story that every white guy in, in their 30s has already told like a million times, you know? Yeah. I got to like look deeper yeah. than like the funny relationship story, you know? Yeah. So, that guy, hot wife, right? Yeah. Um, well, cool. Matt, what's yeah. your endorsement? Uh, mine is Mudbound. I feel like nobody is talking about that movie. Except for like... the Academy Awards. Well, but it was not up for Best Picture. That's exactly my point. And okay. it's it's frustrating to me actually because... There were ten slots available for the best picture, and only, only nine were nine movies. And like that movie is easily not only belongs is is that good and belongs with those other movies, but is really Oscar-y. Do you know what I mean? It's like about big themes. It's got big, awesome performances. It's shot incredibly. It's like an Oscar movie. It's an Oscar movie. Oscar movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I really loved it. So. Uh, and you can watch it on uh, Netflix. So Mudbound is great. Yeah. I bet people, I wonder if like it being a Netflix movie. That's got to be it. it. Yeah. Though, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't produced by Netflix. It was like acquired by Netflix. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Sundance. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I really, really need to see it. <laughs> you should, it oh, I, fair warning. It is heavy. Right. It's heavy in multiple levels. Like it's, um, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but uh, it was great. So I recommend people see it. Cool. Yeah. Well, 
Addy, if people want to follow you, what's the what's the best way to see what you're up to? Twitter, YouTube, Deadline. Yeah. Should we just set a Facebook. Google alert? Yeah, there Facebook, you go. Facebook. I don't know. People want to keep track of what you're doing. I think they the, should not be keeping track of what other people are doing. <laughs> I think sure. that's the that's kind of the the flaw, you know, in the, sure. in the matrix. It's like it's like just just focus on the stories you you want to tell. Sure, sure. And just figure out how to tell them. Um, okay, but if well you want to follow me, if people want to know when Castlevania <laughs> yeah. Two is coming out, or um, you know, yeah, body, find me on right? Facebook. Yeah, find me Facebook. on Facebook. Uh, well, you can uh, check out more about the show at justshootitpod.com. Follow us at justshootitpod on Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, me at Mr. Madelum and me at Smitey Pileg. And uh, this episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And uh, leave us an iTunes review. Say what's up. Ask us a question. Complain about the show. Whatever you guys think. We'd love to hear from you. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. 